I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, Redefining Yoga listeners. We've got a big update for you. We're revamping our podcast and we're now proudly known as Redefining Movement. We've always been more than just yoga, but we feel that the word movement really encompasses you and why you come here. And that's not all the changes we're making. We're also slowing down our cadence a bit to five fantastic episodes a month. Why, you ask? This will allow us to be more intentional with the top-notch content that you already love and know. And guess what? We've got some incredible special series lined up that you won't want to miss. Get ready for even higher quality interviews, expert insights, and a fresh perspective on movement. So hit that subscribe button to stay in the loop. Keep moving. It's a thrilling journey, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. As you may already know, not all movement practices are designed equally. In the Lit Yoga Method, we help you retrain your brain and body to move better for everyday life. Through physical therapy drills, yoga, functional mobility, core stability, and flexibility, the Lit Method rewires habitual movement patterns and postural imbalances to help you feel stronger, more energized, and more balanced both on and off the mat. Our online platform, The Lit Daily, is designed for easy convenience with a robust offering of class types so you can boost your energy while getting stress relief. Yes. Improved brain wiring means you will move with more ease and efficiency because we teach you the how and why behind movement choices, not just poses for the sake of poses. All movement teachers on the platform are certified by LIT and share a common language, providing education with clear cues that give you the needed reinforcement for enhancing your movement habits. Thousands of students in over 60 countries get LIT to feel more confident, more powerful, and more alive. We offer two subscription options for all levels and bodies. The LIT Daily option includes library of 500 plus classes with so many categories, including short on time, injury prevention, stress relief, and body parts. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we offer live classes streamed on Lit Daily. There's a class of the day to help you take the guesswork out of what class to do, and monthly workshops are 50% off. Then the Lit Studio option has everything I just mentioned in the daily option, plus 20 weekly live Zoom classes with lit teachers providing real-time feedback. There are monthly workshops that are free for these studio members. You can stream all of this right to your TV air device through Android, iPhone, and iPad apps. Movement changes everything. When we move better, we feel better. So sign up for our free one-week trial and see how getting lit can help you feel your best today and for years to come. I'm Laura Hyman, and welcome to Redefining Movement, a lit podcast designed to investigate all aspects of movement, 
from my background in physical therapy and neuroscience. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter movement patterns and compassion for ourselves and others, so together we can live our most uplifted lives, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined, as always, by my fearless, incredible Wonder Woman of a podcast co-host, Kristen Williams. Oh, hi, Laura. There is a story there that maybe one day we'll share with our listeners. <laughs> so back. We had a wonderful break. I knew. Did- we had a great break. It was really it's so nice to be back, back in the pod square here. And we're so happy that you all are listening. We love your questions. And so here we go. First question. You want to start? All right. Yes. So our first question here is from one of our lit teachers, Nicola. She says, KB, I have a handstand question for the podcast. I am following the idea to pull the femur up and I'm quite stable in my handstand hop until I have to inhale again. Then all falls apart and I sink down. Do you guys have any tips? I'm pretty sure the idea of handstanding freaks me out. This might be one of the things I have to work on. Thanks so much, Nicola. All right. What do you have to say to that, Laura? So when, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, so imagine your hands are on the floor and one, let's say your right foot is on the floor and you're forming kind of like a tripod where your shoulders are over your wrist, that right knee is probably bent, she's coming up on the right toes and she's getting the feeling of pulling the right femur, the thigh bone up into her pelvis because that kind of organizes the center of mass. So when you push into the floor, that you get the return back. And that's what we want. The tissues are held, um, are holding the pelvis stable. And when you push down, that energy comes back up and translates into you being able to hop and get some air and ultimately moving the pelvis more and more in alignment over the shoulders. And doing that in the way she's talking about um, integrates again the legs which is like a long lever into the center mass that has to move over the shoulders so we recommend that feeling because a lot of people focus on the top leg for instance and trying to sail or kick that leg up a lot of instructors will even talk about kicking and i really refrain from using that because our brain will feel like oh yeehaw let's go and really and that's what you focus on is the getting up with the top leg but that doesn't often translate into the same kind of stability in the center of mass in the pelvis that you need. That's where people then feel disorganized and fearful because they're like upside down and out of control to a degree. So I don't think it's necessarily what you're doing right now um, that is causing more fear. I think you're probably going into it. You know, fear, everybody has it. Like, I, we, we've met maybe there's a few people maybe in their background they were doing this all the time when they were kids and they're really comfortable but you have to think of it as it's completely different um it's a different movement pattern it's a different orientation in space you're relying on core muscles in ways that you can kind of get away with not relying on when you're bipedal on two feet we know that to be true. Like you can really sway the ribs and pelvis around, not only forward and backward, but laterally. You can rotate that pelvis. Um, and, you know, any degree of lumbopelvic motion in walking 
that is visible is already too much. So then think about doing that on your hands. It's 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 can be unnerving. And and then your brain starts to think like, well, oh my God, I'm gonna break my neck. What am I? So I it leads for a lot of people down into this kind of fear path. So you might have number one, some anticipatory fear. Like you get the setup and then the rocket doesn't have the fuel, like because it's like all of it goes into fear. So I just recommend don't think about straight up vertical. Just think about like like hopping on one leg if your trunk is upright. Down, up, down, up, down, up, and catch air, catch air, catch air. Get a little bit more. The more you push down and you hold everything stable, it translates, especially in the right you know, surface, it translates back up. So eventually you are going to get enough of an arc that your pelvis is going to get more over the shoulders. But do it gradually so your brain has uh, time to adapt, which Nicola, I know you've been doing this for a while. And so now you just have to be like, I freaking got this. Like have like a sense of confidence. You've done it enough. The hop and hop and hop. And just say, I've got this. Let me see if I can get enough that I can pause in the air. Like I can have the hover, hover experience. By the way, when you get that hover experience is usually the place where people get the most freaked out because they feel so light. Like you literally feel like you're flying because you have stacked yourself, you've stacked the joints so that the energy demand is very little. The energy demand to get there is greater. Once you get there, it's like you're flying and that's why you don't want to, you know, turbocharge into that. You want to gradually hop into that and get that feeling. Um, I know KB is going to have more to add. Like, it's fine to have a wall nearby. I will tell you, your brain won't figure out how to, it, your brain won't, it's like if your kid fell and every time you grab their wrist and never let them fall down and figure out how to like decelerate or how to fall in a, like in a, a way that's not going to hurt. Like you're, you learn that. You will not learn it if you have a wall always catching you. You're never giving your brain an opportunity. So yeah, you're going to get the feeling of being inverted, but you're never going to get the feeling of controlling the inversion and controlling the deceleration if you lose some of that. And last thing I'll say is the more control you have coming up, if you do, which you're inevitably going to do, you fall out, you're going to fall out with so much more control. It won't even feel like a fallout. It'll just feel like a tiny little maneuver. So it's all a part of the transportation. You have to think of how you get off and how you get down and doing it with that control and like having more confidence. Yeah. No, I mean, I just came off of teaching two workshops and, you know, over in Europe about just this, you know, and we were, Laura, you and I were talking about it. We were walking around Vienna and we were talking about how, yeah, fear is real. And Nicola, you know, you know, you also mentioned your breath. And I want to say, like she said, I exhale, I'm good. And as soon as I inhale, it goes away. You know, I feel like I lose my balance. As I was teaching these classes, I was upside down and I was talking. So obviously I was breathing, but like, as soon as I come down, I'm like, so I was really thinking about her breath pattern because I agree with everything you said, but 
how much are you inhaling? Because I'm not going to lie. When I'm upside down, I'm not doing a full breath pattern. I'm but still very much on retention with a shallow breath, which is why I hold a handstand for however long it is. I come down and I'm out of breath because I never let that go. And I wonder if she isn't, if she isn't going. And then that, you know, think about what happens, you know, your breath, our diaphragm, it's tied to the psoas, which she's using to help herself get up. She's doing all the right things, but I would encourage her to continue to hold that breath, not hold the breath, but like on retention or where you're breathing much more shallow. So you can contain that. You can continue holding that core container. I think that will help her stay up. And yes, I mean, fear it's think about fear in our breath with fight or flight. Whenever, as soon as we, when we're scared, we, we inhale and we kind of, you know, it's, you need to keep that exhalation. So my question to you, Nicola, is are you really, are you ex, are you exhaling so much that to get up that you feel almost like you need to take a deep breath? Like I exhale as I go up, but it's not like a, all yeah, my breath out. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, then you start to panic, panic because yeah. you can't breathe. Yeah. So exhale, but know that you're still going to be breathing on a retention type tone because that will help you keep the core. And then as far as the fear goes, Laura, I agree with you. You know, I do teach a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of different tips and techniques that need to be done, like are that are done at the wall, but you have to come away from it and you cannot rely on it. So the other thing I talked about, and you said it too, if your feet touch the wall, you're relying on the wall, your feet, you got to forget about them. They should never, if they touch the wall, you'll never get away from the wall. Mm -hmm. Never get away. Yeah. So you might start here, you know, four inches from the wall, then I want you to get to six and I want you to get a foot away. So it's still there, but you start to trust and realize like, I don't need that at all. You know, I am not relying on that wall for stability because fear is real. We are oh, all- It is. And it's really good for everybody to know that like every single person has probably had it to some degree. And some people have it a lot more, especially if it ha if it's not something this is a new pattern, a new pathway, and it's upside down. So the orientation is different. Um, and like you said, that changes the breath. The other thing I was just thinking about is you want to pull, you want to get the energetics of the femur lifting, but you don't want to like crank that either. Because if your iliacus, which is part of your iliopsoas, is just pulling, it might not give your your the diaphragm and QL, these kind of it, the inner digitations that it has with that, this space to lean into and breathe. So it's like, it, it's funny because I had somebody the other day saying to me, you know, um, when we talked about like, I, I forgot, it was something with the, the sh like the shoulder and just like feeling that scapula pulling into the back. She's like, I do that all the time. And I'm like, you do it to feel it, but you don't dial it to a hundred percent at some point you're going to dial it to just the right amount that you need for the task at hand so if Same i'm thinking so yeah i'm going to need a little bit more engagement but it's still not like but if i'm standing and i feel it i don't sit there and actively pull them in 
So we give you tips for energetics, but it never to get like 100% all the time. It's to feel it so you get that consolidation. So also check in that you're not just like pulling that thigh up and, you know, tensing. Never letting go. Never letting go. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. you know, it's just always, and that's what we do. We figure out and our brain starts to figure out, okay, this is the amount that's needed for the job at hand. And there's gonna, it's a spectrum, you know, like even today I was teaching a class and it was all about getting breath into the back ribs. And I did like my regular little amount of push off and it was more than I needed. Like I almost fell over because like I was so broad back there when I lifted. So it's like this spectrum, you're kind of fine tuning all the time. Yep. Just like life. <laughs> That's true. Great question. Like life. I know you're not alone in that question. No, you're not. All right. Next question is, um, well, this is a good one um, just in to get some clarification because I, I think a lot of people will have this. This is by JB Stylist 7. How do I know if my intermittent back pain is a disc or a muscle? You want to start with that? Yeah, yeah, I'll start with that one. You know, there's definitely kind of physical therapy rules of thumb um, that... I've kind of always stood by. It's hard. First of all, it's a lot of times it's not either or. They kind of go together. But a, a really good indication that you have a disc involvement, meaning there's a disc pressing on the nerve root as it exits the spine. A lot of times with that type of an injury, and there is something going down the leg because it's pressing on the nerve, you can trace that pain with a finger. You know, you can literally follow it right down the leg. If your pain is more broad than that, let's say a hand, it follow it with a hand on the leg, it is probably either a combination of the two or it's got more muscle involvement, your piriformis, your QL, like, you know, your posture, because it's more of a broad, there's a lot more birds on the wire, let's put it that way, as opposed to when it's truly a disc, people can, it is like a lightning bolt and it's going right down. Literally, you can follow it with a finger. Um, but that to be said, to, to be fair, people who have disc herniations sometimes don't have pain. So again, we can't correlate disc herniation with pain any more than we can correlate muscle spasm with pain. Just the symptomatology of the two tend to present a little bit more different disc, more direct, but you can have both together, which can then be confusing. So this is what's funny as a physical therapist, we'll start treating the soft tissue, we'll start treating the posture, and all of a sudden you start un, you know, raveling, peeling away the layers where the pain maybe becomes more direct or it becomes more localized because it's no longer being masked by other types of symptoms from, from the muscle spasm, from the poor movement mechanics, from the, the poor posture. Um, so, you know, true, true disc. The other really good sign for that is nerve tension. You know, if you lie on your back and you have someone lift a leg up, that's called a straight leg raise. It's a passive straight leg raise. If that reproduces your pain, like within the first 45 degrees of lifting, that's a pretty strong sign that you've got a disc pressing on a nerve. 
if you get above that 45 degrees and you feel it then, we can't be certain because now we're getting hamstring tightness for a lot of us. We're, for, for a lot of us, we're getting posterior chain tightness. So up the back, once you start getting that connective tissue tight and then, oh, now I have pain. It's like, mm, yes, that's called a positive straight leg raise, but the benchmark is usually 60 to 70 degrees. I've seen it more that it's a true test. I find personally, if it's like zero to 45, if, if someone gets lit up there, I know that disc is on fire and it is pushing the on a nerve. And I have to be a little bit more uh, just aware and sensitive to what's going on. What, what have you seen, Lara, with that? Yeah, I mean, I guess the bottom line is it always comes back to it's multifaceted because just so uh, it's great for insurance purposes to have a code. This is a disc. This is a muscular, uh, you know, skeletal syndrome or something. But at the end of the day, it's like they are, it, it's all combined. For instance, the disc, your iliopsoas attaches to your lumbar intervertebral disc. So it also attaches to your inner thigh. It goes through the body. So, you know, if you are flexed a lot, meaning sitting a lot during the day and you come up to stand and you try and, you know, get your spine upright and your front of that iliopsoas is feeling restricted, it will pull on your back. It's going to pull more on your back than on your front. Um, you might feel it on the front, but it ultimately, so your disc could be um, irritated there, get inflamed, have discogenic symptoms. So it's like the 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 diagnosis. I think for both of us, like, is less important than really watching what you're doing on a regular basis, how yeah. you have habitually moved, stood, bent over, all the things. So yes, you can have those certain type of um, different pains you know they actually will call them different like one can be a zinging a burning all those kind of things that are more nerve but it still comes down to um i would worry less about that and think more about like this is the this is what i'm feeling what is causing that what is the root cause and you know if you just go like this is like with everything in life you know if somebody has diabetes okay well this what is the root cause of that you know so Maybe it's genetic. there's some genetics, but we know many of it, you know, like just apply all. So I, I just encourage everybody, you get a diagnosis, don't be attached to that. And if you feel pain, don't get attached to knowing, is it a disc or is it my, like, be more curious and then search out therapists or movement specialists who are also looking at the way you move, not just giving you some symptomatic relief. Yeah, because we tend to get very, by we, I mean, physical therapists, medical professionals in general who are yeah. working in a clinic get very much tunnel vision because we're kind of pigeonholed into it's that. It's a silo. Like, and that's yeah. the thing, if you're siloed, then everyone is less likely to look at the root cause and the full picture because it takes more time. It takes my time to uncover, like, like you were saying, uncovering, okay, your movement patterns, your habits, your the motor firing because you set yourself up in a position and you also are setting up the motor firing to, you know, happen in a certain way. So, you know, maybe your paraspinals are like always jacked up and ready because they're just trying to give support 
because you're not getting it from the anterior side or, you know, underneath and the pelvic floor and the deep core, and they're just always on. Well, that is not going to feel good. But uh-uh. you can't blame them. They're trying to help out and keep your body upright. And so you, it it takes longer to un to uncover all the reasons. But man, it's so worth it. Uh-huh. All right, we got Thanks. one more question. I think. We do. So let's see. Our friend Julie, another lit teacher, wrote in Julie Glick. Hi, Lauren KB. One of my dearest friend's husband has Bell's palsy. He was bitten by a tick about two weeks ago and shortly after he woke up looking like he had a stroke. They ruled out the stroke, thank goodness, but one side of his face is drooping and he can't close one eye. Drinking is not easy. Whistling is out of the question. They'd been told by his neurologist that it could be at least three months before any possibility of improvement uh, occurs and that 80% of people will improve, hopefully returning to normal facial structure and nerve activity. I do not blame him for not wanting to wait and see. He is seeing an acupuncturist and after one session, he felt a little better, but no change. What experience do you have in treating Bell's palsy, if any, and what are the suggestions uh, that you have to pass, that you have for me to pass on to them? He's also on doxycycline for Lyme disease, but he has no symptoms other than half of his face being all kinds of droopy. He did start practicing gently, uh, gentle yoga online, which can only help. Of course, I believe that lit yoga can be help so much of what ails us humans. I wonder if the neuroprogramming can somehow help his face. I know it will help the rest of him and his mood too. And you never know. I really feel for him and my friend too. Thank you. Um, Interesting. Bell's palsy, I've seen um, for various reasons. Um, and, you know, it's affecting the cranial facial nerve. And sometimes, like corticosteroids, are kind of the main thing that actually move the needle because there's some kind of responsiveness and swelling in that nerve. And that's really what's causing the. You know, it's getting compressed because it's swelling uh, and it's reacting. It could be to the Lyme's disease. It could be, um, you know, to other, they're usually an autoimmune response or some kind of viral infection. And I haven't seen anything that moves the needle faster. It's some of it is healing and some of it is toning down the response of the body. And that, you know, so we could, we could argue a couple of things. The body's having a good response. It's responding to, um, you know, mycoplasms, bacteria, the limes, you know. And so this is part of the response. And it's, we, you just want to help with some of the symptoms because that can, you know, it's, it looks funny. There's some, you know, it can drool. It, it, does, it feels weird. And it, it just makes you, you know, wonder if you're ever going to be back to normal. Um, and like like she has heard, many people do get it get it back in this number of months. And I think some of it is just the healing time. Um, I'm not I'm not saying go for corticosteroids or not. I just know that the people that I have seen that seem to be the biggest thing that move the needle faster um, is taking out some of the inflammatory response through some you know pretty heavy dose steroids, not just like and ibuprofen as an anti-inflammatory. So, um, yeah, you can probably do some tapping on, you know, like you can do some stimulation, but it's 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 um, inflamed. It's 
having a response. And, and so I don't know if doing anything to help the stimulation would move the needle faster. Um, but I don't think it could hurt. I just wouldn't do anything major. You know, I just do some real like right around the areas, just some stroking and some, and then you can even look up on, on one of the apps, like the following, if it's cranial nerve 12 and just like how, you know, follow it out. You can come toward like underneath the ear where there's a little indentation there. That's where the vagus nerve comes out. Vagus nerve runs really close to this one. So you stimulating that, activating that could be helpful. It could certainly be helpful just in getting the nervous system calmer so that perhaps that auto, that, you know, response of the immune system is not as dramatic. But one would say like, okay, we do want a good response. We just don't want it so heightened that it affects other things. I don't know if you have. No, I, I agree with you. I think this is, these are the type of things that are, they're just hard, you know. This is motor cortex. So it's not going to change it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Beret, like all of these kind of random, random by way of, they tend to kind of come on at at the, with the most unlikely stimulus, like a tick bite, you know, that's most people who get bit by bitten by a tick don't get Bell's palsy. Like this is a, this is a. Yes win the lottery type of situation, you know, like usually this doesn't happen. So I agree with you, Laura, like the body's doing what it needs to do to heal. Um, I agree with all of your recommendations just by way of calming the central nervous system. I mean, even Julie said that herself, you know, it'll make feel better. Uh, It can maybe, you know, just help de-stress um, to let the body do what it needs to do. And a lot of this is a waiting game. It's a waiting game to to where we're just hoping that the body can restore this because the unfortunate thing with Bell's palsy, you saw that number was 80%. I mean, yeah. 20% of people have residual, not, it doesn't, I, you know, most people that I've known who've had it and it doesn't resolve completely, it's a very slight, like you there. just- light yeah. difference in their facial symmetry as a result but you know there are the people who 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 don't so get all the way better from this um so anything we can do to really yeah decrease the stress and breath work i love the vagus nerve suggestions you know just to support the body in its healing i love the corticosteroid you know recommendation i'm surprised that that you know, he isn't. That. That's, yeah, that's usually a line that, and you know, it, again, we're not like steroids have a place. <laughs> um, they have, there's side effects to any pharma- pharmacology. Um, but with something like this, it's such a um, specific area and such a, it's it, small yeah, area too. The, yeah, the amount that you'd be taking would be not like taking into some other area. It's, um, if this isn't systemic. So it, it's, I think, that could be really worth it. And that, that's where we do turn to medicine and say, like, huh, help us. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it's the same with when people will say to me about, like, disc, you know, when they do true, go back to the other question, when someone truly does have a disc that's pressing on a nerve, I talk about that nerve like a, um, you know, when you'd watch the Looney Tunes and they'd bang their thumb and it would go, rrr, 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 yeah. and yeah. like, and, like, that's what's going on is we have this inflamed nerve in a very small space. So people will say, should I do steroids? Heck yes, get on that Medrol dose pack. Take that steroid. If it helps, that's a really good indication that 
that, that it is inflammation that's causing it. If it doesn't help, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, because yes, we're not taking the steroid long term. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend that as well. Well, great. We loved your questions. Um, please, please share our podcast um, and rate and review. We would love to see reviews in there, um, not just like our, you know, just the four or five stars you want to give us, but like any kind of review. That's always fun because people can read those and get an idea of what, you know, what they're going to um, see here and be more inclined to listen. So please share this with friends and also make sure that you try some Lit Daily. I mean, do you have some classes you would recommend for the things we've covered? We've covered, you know, disc versus muscular pain. Um, yeah, I've got a sciatica series on there. It's called Sciatica for Everyone. And, you know, that really goes into some, you know, I think she even said maybe that that that, that she'd, you know, done some of those exercises. But or this is, I think, maybe an, a, yeah. another question. Yeah. But sciatica series where we go over some exercises for sciatic nerve type pain, sciatica, lumbar radiculopathy. We've got a ton of stuff there on back pain for, we got a ton of stuff there for neck. And we're talking about anything up in the, up in the facial structures, a lot of handstand stuff, Nicola. I know you've probably done a lot of it. We, um, we do, we have workshops on hand, on, on, on handstands that if you're a, um, a lit studio member, you have access to all of our workshops. So you have the, the blog you know your member. Two, you have we have two subscriptions. One is to our lit daily, which is, um, a huge library of classes and, and 50% off of our monthly workshop. But Lit Studio, you get 20 live by Zoom classes plus free workshops, and then you have access all the time to any of the workshops. And so it's kind of a big deal. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, so check that out, and you know what to do. Leave us a question. You can DM us on Instagram at laura.hyman or kbwilliams99. Yep, you can also email us at support at lityoga.com. And as always, we're full oh. for you. Oh, well, Hi. someday we'll get it, Laura. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Movement. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating and review or share with someone you know. Check us out at www.litmethod.com.